Jason. How are you? Good, thank you. How are you? I'm not too bad, thanks. I'm a little bit uh, kind of nervous to talk to uh, someone who's in the military because I don't have a lot of knowledge about the military service. And uh, so uh, I I hope that uh, I ask very good, sensitive questions that you will feel comfortable with answering. So let's go. So let's, uh, first of all, you're doing good, you said, and uh, your name is Jason Grabarger. Did I pronounce your last name correctly? You did, which very few do on their first attempt. Well, I practice. (laughs) (laughs) I practice. Today is November 20th, 2023. And I'm doing a podcast with Jason Grabarger, who uh, graciously uh, said yes when I asked him if he would be interested to be my guest. And I I really appreciate and I thank you for being my guest today on my podcast. So, Jason, uh, you were in the military service, and we'll talk about that. I've always been intrigued with uh, talking with a soldier who was in the military service and what your life could have been like. And it would be so far removed from my life and so many other people that I know. So we'll, we're going to delve into that a little bit later on, if that's okay. Yep. All right. So uh, I just want to know where you came from uh, and a little bit about your childhood and your background and, and, okay. and all of that, if you don't mind sharing with me, please. No, um, I was uh, born and raised in Cape Real. So that's Cape Real, Ontario, Canada, RA. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad was a trapper and a miner. Oh, so he was a fur trapper? Yes. And a miner? Yeah, he worked at uh, Moose Mountain Mine until it closed in 79. Oh, what was his job there? He was um, uh, a shovel operator, so he was digging in the open pit. Oh, my goodness. Were you ever nervous for him going off to work each day? No, I was too young to realize exactly what he was doing. Okay. So, um, when the mine closed down, and he went back to um, uh, strictly trapping until he passed away in uh, 88. In 1988. So, was it a good income for him? uh, For First of all, working as a miner and then getting into fur trapping? Well, he um, he grew up as a, in a trapping family. Okay. So uh, he was known trapping all his life. The mine was good money. Yes. So that thing, it, uh, it covered his costs, and that was about it. Oh, I see. Okay. And so, and your mother, uh, what kind of background are you? Uh, is your back for your parents? What 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 is their background? What do you mean background? Uh, did they immigrate to Canada or were they here no. for hundreds of years, a couple hundred years, like my family from France? And Okay, well, my dad's family, uh, my great-great-grandpa left Arnprior, Ontario in 1857 and moved to Restoul. Oh, Arnprior. I had some relatives that lived in Arnprior. So uh, my dad's family's been around, that I know, from 1857 in Ontario. Oh, okay. My mother's family is originally from uh, New Brunswick. From New Brunswick. It, did she have some French in her background? A lot of people from New Brunswick are French ancestry. Her, yeah, her mom's side of the, 
of the family was Dutch. My grandfather's side was English. Oh, is that right? Okay. And so why did they end up in northern Ontario, in Cape Real? That I couldn't tell you. <laughs> did you enjoy living in Cape Real? Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, some great friends, great places to grow up in. Yes, yeah, I enjoyed it. Oh, that's good. So, and and you attended uh, school, I guess, elementary school, and then high school in Cape Real, or did you come well, to Valcaran um, Confed? I, I went to Valcaran Confederation High. Me too. <laughs> yeah, they had the stops classes then. So, um, Cape Real High School didn't have the, the stop, the technical trades. In technical trades. Yeah. Okay, so, and then what did you study for, what kind of technical trades were you the most interested in? Auto mechanics. On camp, what did you say? Sorry? Auto mechanics. Oh, auto mechanics. Okay. <laughs> so you must have enjoyed tinkering around with cars and trucks. I did. Uh, that was my last job in the military. I was a mechanic. Oh, wow. Okay. And so I, I was looking at your Facebook profile, and it said here, you enlisted in June 10th, 1988. What was that like for you? And why did you decide to join your, with the Canadian Armed Forces and uh, as a soldier? Why did you want well, to join the military? Um, honest to God, truth. Yeah. I was on my way to the unemployment office in Sudbury. Okay. And I had to walk by the recruiting center and I said, what the hell? Let's check it out. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and then uh, I got uh, down to Toronto, and I was uh, helping a buddy working for him. And I had my file transferred from Sudbury to Toronto. Mm-hmm. And uh, they called me up. I went in. They showed me a video about a uh, communications position. Okay. And then they uh, gave me a piece of paper that uh, gave an outline of air defense artillery. And on that paper, it said uh, postings would be Lar West Germany, Bansolian West Germany, and Chatham, New Brunswick. And I said, Germany, I'll take that. <laughs> so and you, that's how I got in. So you, you were in Sudbury, on your way to the employment office, and walked by the military recruiting office, and then you said, what the hell, and then you enlisted. Yep. Wow. <laughs> Talk about an impromptu decision, and then yeah, it was. what did your family think about this? Um, my mom, she didn't mind. My dad didn't mind. He said, uh, "Don't join just to quit." Ah, good advice. And so, uh, yeah, other than that, they were both behind me. But they must have been a bit worried about this kind of career because now you're going to be leaving. The area. Um, yeah, and I was the, uh, the youngest of the two kids. I have an older sister, so I was the only one at home at the time. Yeah. So. So then, and then off you go. And you ended up uh, for your training, I get. Would that be your training that you first went to? Is would be yeah. in New Brunswick? Yeah, no, in Nova Scotia. Oh, in Nova Scotia. What was the name of the town in Nova Scotia? Cornwallis. Cornwallis. Yeah. It's just outside of Digby. Outside of Digby in Nova Scotia. Yeah, it's right on uh, the Bay of Fundy. Oh, 
Wow, that's a big switch for you from from moving from Northern Ontario over to the Bay of Fundy on the Atlantic Ocean. Yeah. Wow. What was that like for you, your first day being there? Oh, it was like, what the hell have I done? Why why did you feel that on your first day, your first week being on, it would be a trading camp, right? Yes, that's when we learned all our uh, the basics, so like our personal drill, how to march, how to um, wear our uniforms, iron our uniform and everything. Yeah. And uh, it was pretty strict, uh, pretty, uh, pretty long days. Well, what kind of long days, and what were when? When did you wake up in the morning, and what were your first tasks for the for the day for training besides learning to march? And yeah, well, in the morning we we'd get up super early. I can't remember the times, but um, because then we'd have to shave, get ready, mm-hmm. get um, get our bed space perfectly laid out for morning inspection. So we'd have to take our rifle. Uh, make our bed with hospital clothes. Yes. Take our rifle, lay it out on our bed, making sure it was clean and everything for them to inspect. And then they would go into our lockers. They would measure our underwear because it had to be folded specific to a specific size. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Um, our boots would have to be polished, highly polished, so that we could see your face in it and and things like that. So... And that was all before 7 o'clock. We had to have that done because we'd have to go for breakfast. And I believe that 7 30 would be our morning run. Oh, my goodness. Come back, have our shower, clean the showers, get redressed in our uniform, and be ready to march off to our first class, uh, regardless what it was, weapons, drill, theory. So, yeah, it was pretty pretty busy the in the morning. And how many weeks did you have to do this kind of training? Weapons? Theory? Ten, ten weeks there. Ten weeks. And then from there, we went to Shiloh, Manitoba for what we call their QL3. That's our, our trade training. Okay. The first, the first ten weeks is just basic army training. Yes. Military training. Okay. And then when that was done, you would go to your first trade training. In, in my case, um, I was air defense artillery, so I was learning how to shoot down airplanes. Oh, so your job, you wanted to, you you were asked to do that job, or they said you would be good at doing this job? Which I would, asked. You asked, and you're, when, it would when be just... When I first enrolled, that yes. was the trade that I picked. The trade of how to shoot down airplanes. Yeah, air defense artillery. Air defense artillery, and that, in layman's terms, is firing a gun or shoulder-launched missile. Oh, sh- a shoulder-launched missile, and what else did you say? At airplanes. At airplanes. Okay. Yeah, or helicopters, oh. or tanks. It could hit anything. Wow, that's intense. Yeah. And and why did you pick that? Because it was just something you were interested in or you thought you could be darn good at this? No, neither of those. It was because two out of three places to do it were in Germany. Oh. And I got my butt out of, Ger- out of Canada. I was in Germany for four beautiful years. Oh, 
some of my ancestor well uh some of my ancestors are from Germany the Schultzes uh and they ended up in Arnprior I'm three quarters French one quarter German I've never been to Germany I've been to Paris in France but I've never been to Germany and I've I've often wanted to go there just to see possibly where some of my ancestors uh immigrated from and this was before the Boer War so okay, 1800s I think it was that they uh, they left uh Germany they escaped Germany actually because there were some German soldiers looking for my great 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 grandfather and he he hid from the the German soldiers and the dogs that were looking for him and he swam across the Danube River to end up somewhere in England and then he ended up in Montreal then it ended up in Arnprior so that's my story from the German side but uh curious as to what is Germany like and why did you feel it was so beautiful being there and in the Canadian military? Um, well, for one, it, it's just, they were so laid back. Oh. Uh, the, um, the grandmothers or the owners, the, the wives, mm-hmm. uh, because like back then, the, uh, the ladies, there was still a lot of stay-at-home moms. Okay. And uh, I was just amazed. Like they, nobody had a deep freezer there. No deep the, freezer. Uh, no, the the wives would go grocery shopping just for every day for fresh meat and vegetables. Oh wow! And it was just their mentality for that and the relaxed. You know, you could go into a, a gas stop and have a beer, and there'd be a two-year-old, a ten-year-old. A fifteen-year-old sitting there at the bar having a non-alcohol drink with oh. their parents. It oh. was just a relaxed atmosphere that the, the the families could go wherever together. That is amazing, and this this would be in the late nineteen eighty. What was it? Nineteen ninety? You were there? Or? Uh, it was there uh, eighty-nine to ninety-three. Eighty-nine to ninety-three. Yeah, and we also had beer delivered weeks to the door. <laughs> so I guess that would be that good German beer that they talk about at Oktoberfest in, in Kingston. Yes. Very much so. <laughs> or King, not Kingston, I'm sorry, Kitchener, Waterloo area, Ontario. <laughs> I've never tried German beer, but it sounds like it's good. <laughs> oh, it is. <laughs> How was your camaraderie with the rest of the soldiers that you were with? You were still in training, right, when you were in uh, Germany? No, I was done my training because I went from um, uh, Cornwall, Nova Scotia for my basic training. Okay. Then I went to Shiloh, Manitoba for 12 weeks to do my air defense training and get qualified on weapons. Okay, air defense to get qualified on weapons. And then from there I went to the air defense school as a member of the staff uh, in Chatham, New Brunswick. And I was only there for seven months. Okay. And then I got posted to Germany. And when I got posted to Germany, I was considered fully qualified for the defense. Okay, so you were fully qualified when you uh, were, how, how would you say, transferred to Germany, and you were yeah. fully qualified as a soldier in air defense. Yeah. So how did that make you feel? Well, good. Um, a lot of the people that I went over with, I had been with for 
you know, the last year or so. So I went with friends. So you went with friends. Must have been some really good times. Any funny stories when you were in Germany for those first years of, you know, just being at it? What what was the name of the base over there? Oh, CFB Lark. CFB, and you're going to have to spell the name for me, please. Lark, L-A-H-R. Oh, Lark, okay. So uh, so I was just outside of Freiburg. Okay. And so any funny stories you know, because we always think military, they look so serious. And there must have been good times with some of your... Well, we had great times. Um, like, there was this one gas off the bar. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was a regular there. And the owner, Helmut and Mimi, were great people. Um, oh! <laughs> the, one, the one year we had uh, a Canadian Halloween party in the back bar. Oh, And we all got dressed up. I was uh, a teenage ninja mutant turtle. Oh my uh, my, roo- my roommate was Bart Simpson. Oh boy, my kids um, love it. Oh, especially my son <laughs> loved the Simpsons. <laughs> yeah, and um, our German friends they joined us. Uh, they weren't as dressed up as we were, but they still got dressed up. Okay. You know, and the the whole thing was just great. Uh, the same place at New Year's for the regulars. There was rooms upstairs. Yes. He gave us a free, a free room for New Year's Eve so we could party. Oh, uh, my goodness. Canadians know how to party. Yeah, and... Uh, <laughs> Especially soldiers. <laughs> they, they just... Very, very good atmosphere. Always felt welcome. Um, you know, never seen any uh, hard times. Right. Like for myself, with the, with the local pop rooms. Mm-hmm. So... You know, I, I got no complaints. I miss it. <laughs> oh, that's oh, that's amazing that you miss it. But what would, what would your job be in Germany? Since at I, at that time, I don't believe there was any active war going on, or uh, uh, military exercises, let's say. Yeah, um, but the Cold War was still in full force. Oh yes, so, so you were always on alert. Yeah, so when I got there, um, we had our airfields. And then uh, we had two air defense batteries, and they never left the airfields. One per bat, one per airfield. Okay. My battery, um, which is a unit, sorry. Yeah. Uh, we got platoons, batteries, regiments. Okay. So my battery was called the field battery. So the field battery. Deploy, yeah, we would deploy up at the front lines as a first line of defense to take up the aircraft before we even got within range of the airfields. So while you were in Germany, you were always on alert with your battery, which is a team of soldiers. Yeah. And how many would be in your team, let's say? In my battery, oh, I'm going to say it was probably close to 150 of us. 150. Is that men and women so, women soldiers? Yeah, we didn't have very many women because um, it was a combat arms um, okay. unit. Yeah. And the, the women were attached to us, but we were like Air Force and Navy. They were um, administrative people, logistics people. Mm-hmm. But uh, at that time, uh, women in the combat arms was, I didn't know of any. All right, that just came later in the year 2000s and something where then finally women were able to be in combat positions, right? From from my memory, yes. 
Yeah. So in Germany, with your battery, you would be, you would, your, your work would be for how many hours? 10, 12 hours at a time or eight hours? Or? Um, a regular day, regular eight to five type of thing. Okay. So you'd be on alert in case during the Cold War, which is between Russia and the rest of the world or yeah. towards you. the Warsaw Pact. So you'd be on alert, and if any airplanes or helicopters or missiles, I imagine, from Russia were deployed, is that the right word, or yeah. shot out, then you would be on alert to shoot them down. More or less, yeah. We had the, um, we called it Snowball. Snowball? So, uh, Canada had its own radio station there. Okay. And um, whenever there was... Um, something going on uh, across the uh, Canadian radio and I believe one or two uh, German radios, all you would hear would be snowball, snowball, snowball. And we even had loudspeakers on the base blaring us out at whatever time of the day it was. And when you heard that, it was like, get to work now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like shit hit the fan type of thing. Right. So if you heard the word snowball, that meant something was fired from Russia? No, not necessarily. Oh, okay. Um, it, it could be for anything. It could have been for an exercise that was uh, kept hush-hush. Oh. Just to, to check our reaction times and everything too, right? Just ready to show up okay. all the trip and be ready to, uh, to leave. So how are your how how was your nerves? No wonder why you went to the the bar once in a while to have a beer. That yeah. is intense uh, to always be on alert. It'd be like having your shoulders clenched and your fists clenched, always wondering when you'd hear that word snowball, and then you'd have to jump into action. Yeah, well, it, I guess it'd be like the same as somebody being on call for right. a tow truck driver or whatever. Um, right. You, you can relax and everything, but you know that the call can come at any moment and you've got to be ready. So when you were, as soon as you heard that call, what did you do? You you went to where your artillery was? Your yeah, heart- went, to, went to our unit, our uh, unit lines, mm-hmm. and they would do a roll call, and then we would get our orders some more. So what kind of... If did you ever shoot anything down when you were in Germany? No, I didn't. Okay, so but what kind of uh, weapons would be ready to go if there was a a plane that came For over? Me, it would have been uh, at the beginning. Yes, it would have been the um, blowpipe. Blowpipe. Yeah, it's a um, missile missile that you fire off your shoulder. So a blowpipe that you have on your shoulder and you'd fire it off your shoulder. And you would control it, steer it, with a little thumb joystick. Okay, so you use a jump, a thumb joystick to deploy it. To, to steer it. To steer it. Oh, to yeah. steer it. Yeah, it was a guided missile. A guided missile. So how often would you just practice using that kind of weapon? Not very often. Um, we had some training uh, equipment set up where uh, you get all the uh, 
same feelings if you fired a live, live missile mm-hmm. that it wasn't a live missile. And then uh, while I was in Germany, they upgraded. And it went to the ADAX, which was a vehicle-mounted missile system. Okay. And to the twin Orlikin 35 uh, guns with radar system. So they, so, it's a radar system that they, that would, you'd, they'd use to see if there was anything shot yeah, in the like, air. Um, the, the two the two new weapon systems, the gun systems, never left the airfield. Okay. And the eight ash was mounted on a tracked vehicle, oh. and um, we would drive that. It had its own radar unit and everything. We could hook up. I think it was five of them together. Okay. And run off a of one leader. So it was pretty high tech. And I never got to fire it because of the cost. The um, okay. top candidate from every course was the only one that got to fire it. So was, did they fire it? Yes, they came back to, um, I think it was uh, Cold Lake, that door uh, they could have the range to fire it. Oh, jeepers. Yeah, because we were back then, I think we were like just under 300,000 per missile. Oh my goodness, I had no idea. So it'd be $300,000 to fire one missile. Back in the day, yeah, when it first came out, that was what we were told, 275,000, 300,000, something like that. So what year would that be? Uh, that would probably would have been 90, 91. Okay, holy jumping. It's uh, military equipment. Is expensive, that's for sure, and weapons. Yeah, and, and the sad thing is, is both of those systems are now in mothballs. They're not in, uh, used in use anymore? No, the ADAPS have been mothballed, I want to say, for at least 10 years. They've been mothballed. Yeah, taken out of service? Yes, yeah. And uh, I believe the guns were much further behind that. Oh, my goodness. Wow, that's intense. Um, how did you stay in touch with family and friends when you're in Germany? Did you were you able to come back home periodically? Uh, I came home once <laughs> over four uh, years. And but I called home once a month. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Your your parents must have been relieved to hear from you. Yeah, yeah. Well, I lost my dad that September, my first year in, so it was oh. just calling back to after that. I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so any funny stories when you were in Germany besides hanging out with the, the guys at the par? That's about most of them. Uh, you know, it was, yeah, I, I have to say that would be about the extent of it. Not too many funny stories. No. I, I guess everybody took their job pretty seriously and their role in uh, society protecting the rest yeah, of the and, world. And also wanting to uh, not disgrace Canada with our options. Yes, that would yeah. probably was drummed into you, to you guys too. Yeah, yeah for sure. Uh, so after Germany, where were you deployed? And you've had some multiple deployments. Yeah. Uh, you had mentioned to me when I met you in Cape Real at the uh, Remembrance Day ceremony uh, on November 11th, 2023. So you had mentioned to me you've been to other countries. So after Germany, where were you deployed and why were you deployed? 
Well, after Germany, I did what we call a remuster. So I left the air defense artillery. Okay. And I went back to school to become a mechanic. So you left the air defense artillery to be and back to school to become a mechanic. Why did you choose that field? That was always my true love. Your true love. Well, that goes back to your Confederation secondary school days, then I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Tinkering with so, uh, with automobiles. Yeah. So I went to uh, baseboarding. Baseboarding. In, uh, in Ontario. Yeah. Uh, just in Barry. I've been and, there. Uh, we used to live in Barry, so we would a lot of times if we had company come to visit us in Barrie, we'd say, okay, we're going to take you to Base Borden. <laughs> yeah. And it was said uh, the Military Museum is so interesting. I just found yeah. it so fascinating. So how long were you at Base Borden for, for mechanics training? Uh, I did two stints there, and I think they were both about seven months each. So one stint uh, in June of 93, the March of 94. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I ended up in Petawawa in 94. Oh, you went to Petawawa, which is near Ottawa, yeah. Ontario? Yeah, and then um, a year later, I had to go back to base boarding to finish my schooling. Okay. And then did another six, seven months there, and then went back to Petawawa, and I was fully trained, I want to say, by October of 95. Uh, so October 95, you were fully trained as a mechanic now? Yeah. And then what happened after that? Uh January 96, I left Petawawa with my unit to go to Bosnia on Little Zero, Eifler. So you went to Bosnia on, what was it again, please? Little Zero. I have no idea how to say that. (laughs) Um, So rotation, um, we call it a row, R-O-T-O. R-O-P-O, rotation. Yeah, number zero. Number zero. So... When the UN pulled out of uh, Yugoslavia, yes, NATO went in. Okay. NATO went in and enforced the Detente Peace Accord. All right. Started confiscating weapons and like big heavy artillery and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And I went there as a mechanic. As a mechanic, so the role for NATO was a peacekeeping role for Canadian soldiers. Yes. But they, at the same time, in Bosnia. They confiscated weapons. Yeah, like um, artillery pieces and things like that. Were they afraid of uh, walking into onto a minefield? There must have been some of that. Bosnia, where Yugoslavia used to be the largest producer of anti-personnel and anti-tank mines in the world. So what does that mean in layman's terms? It means that you don't get off the asphalt. Oh, my God, that must have been so scary. It was stressful. Yes. And as a mechanic, what did you do? You you repaired uh, machinery or, I guess, you vehicle traffic? Uh, yeah, everything. Vehicles in the military. Yeah, military vehicles, generators, um, lighting units, you know, uh, anything with an engine. Oh, so that would be, I would supposedly hope that that would have been a, a safer job for you to have with the military. Yeah, more or less, but we still had to vote because we still had vehicle breakdowns. And, um, you know, so then you're pulling vehicles in onto the road. So oh. that part was always scary. Yeah, it must have been scary. 
uh, because you'd want to avoid mines. Is that that's what you call it, right? Mine yeah. minefields. Yeah. Okay, trying to get the vehicle back onto asphalt to bring it into your, I would imagine, some sort of large garage or warehouse where yeah. you could work and repair those vehicles. Exactly. How are the people in Bosnia towards the Canadian military, towards yourselves? I never had an issue with them. Um, we had civilians working on the base, or okay. on the camp. All right. And uh, they were all very grateful. So, I, to me, they were fine. That's great. They, yeah. they must have been relieved you were there. I think so. Yeah. Did you see any military action? While you were there? No, the closest that I seen, um, I was getting ready to come home from my holidays and I had to carry my rifle and there was um, shots being fired over our camp. Uh, just small arms, so rifle shots, but you can see the tracers. Yeah. And that, that put me on edge because I didn't have a weapon anymore. Yeah, so you wouldn't have been able to defend yourself. If Correct. anyone <laughs> came towards you, but you could hear and see, I yeah, guess. Yeah. What so, did you do, uh, Jason? Uh, not much. I just hung out with the guys that still had weapons. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I can't imagine being fired at. Uh, I, there was an incident one time uh, years ago in the 80s. It was in the Sudbury Star newspaper where my ex-husband and I, we were walking into Radio Shack on LaSalle Boulevard, and this one young man uh, had a rifle. He had a nervous breakdown or something similar. And my ex-husband, Dan, said to me, don't look, just keep walking. But I did look uh, through my peripheral vision, and I could see this young man who was working at the store, I guess, and he held a rifle and he had aimed it at us, but I, I think he had, a, to me, it seemed like a schizophrenic breakdown. Okay. And and then we went into the radio shack and we said, the guy next door aimed a rifle at us. And then as we were saying that, all of a sudden we heard shots being fired. And he might have felt like maybe, you know, aliens were coming towards him or whatever. I don't know what, what why he started shooting, but we were all ducking on the floor at Radio Shack on LaSalle Boulevard. And then the police came, and the poor young man, he just had a, a breakdown. But yeah. it was freaking scary. To, yeah. It is, yeah. you don't know, time. yeah, you just don't know if you're, you're, you're going to be killed instantly or by the grace of God be saved but we you know thank goodness we went in at that time and we told the employees at Radio Shack and uh, the police were called and, and the, hopefully the young man did receive help but it is a scary feeling so I kind of I, I have a, a bit of an idea what it would be like for you uh, so after Bosnia how long were you there for on this peacekeeping mission seven months Oh, so you weren't there that long then? No, no, our, um, our tours are usually six months, give or take a week or two. Okay, and then after you were deployed again to somewhere else, some other yeah. country. <laughs> so let's hear the next country. Yeah, so I went back for a while then, and I left my, the unit I was with and went to a different unit across the road. 
So you went, sure. came back to Canada, to Petawawa, yeah. and you went yeah. to another unit across the fr- road. What does that mean? Like literally no, across? I was, uh, I was with um, a service battalion. Oh. So the service battalion, uh, it's got the mechanics, it's got the supply technicians, the truckers, the administrative people, and that's their... Um, We'll say we have different levels of each of those. Okay. So for me at the service battalion, I basically worked on anything that took over four job, four hours to do. So wow. if I had to do a starter on a truck and it's only an hour, mm-hmm. I wouldn't do that. So you that did was, the, the more complicated work. <laughs> yeah. So um, like when I left the service battalion, I went to the artillery again. Oh. So, so if, when I was at the artillery, if I had to replace a starter on a truck, which only took an hour, I would do it there. Okay. If I needed a new motor for that truck, I would send it to a service battalion, and they would do it there. I see. So for different levels of maintenance, would it would depend on where it went. Right. And so you became very good at your job, obviously. Yeah, so I, I went to, uh, to RCHA, the artillery, mm-hmm. field artillery, that is. And in December of 99, I went to Kosovo. Kosovo. And so why did you go there? Was it another peacekeeping? Yeah, under NATO. Under um, NATO. Serbia and Kosovo were at war at the time, civil war. Yes, and that was horrific. When I, yeah. I'm a news junkie, so uh, sometimes it's hard to watch the news, but I, I don't know why. I've always liked to be kept up to date on that. And I again, I remember seeing such horrific treatment of the people over there uh, in that area. So how is it for you? Being in Kosovo. Uh, work-wise, it was okay, but it was just seeing, like, I, I, it still bothers me. I, I remember going to the dump um, because I had that little truck and you had to make sure our repairs were working to mm-hmm. see what the problem was. And there was a burnt-out school bus there and there was young kids living in it because they had no other place to live. Oh, my goodness. Uh, so stuff like that always bothered me. I would imagine. So you saw a burnt-out school bus, and there were young kids living in the school bus. Obviously, they must have been orphaned. Yeah. And living in a school bus. Oh, my God. Do you ever suffer with nightmares when, from scenes like that? There's things that, you know, that do trigger. So, yeah. 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 That... That would be really difficult to see. Uh, how did you cope with that when you were there? Did you sit down and talk with a counselor when you were there in Kosovo? Do they no. have counselors or mental health advocates? Not that I knew of. So at the time, you had to just deal with it? Yeah. How about your uh, the other soldiers? Do you call them comrades? Or, or like, what do you call the other soldiers? Do you call them... If I'm talking about them, yes. uh, I'll call them other vets. If I'm talking to them, I'll call them whatever I feel like. <laughs> <laughs> so you call them vets? 
if you're talking about them, but when you're with them, you'll say, hey, Joe, or hey, you know, who? Hey, asshole. Yeah. <laughs> we, we all answer to it. So. There must have been, just to cope with the the awful uh, images and uh, effects of any war or conflict, there must have been some kind of like sick humor that you kind of joke about just to kind yeah. of cope, right? Yeah. I would imagine because as human beings, how do you just distance yourself from that or just kind of want to get up the next day? It, uh, it, all, it all came down to the buddy system. Oh, can you, you talk know, about that, Jason? The buddy system is just you and your buddies talking, uh, you know, there to Carlina and one another and, and everything like that. You know what I mean? Because at the time... I wasn't aware if there was any counseling available type of thing. And so we took it among ourselves and we looked after each other. And a lot of talking would be had then, I guess. When you... Yeah, and, and like you say, like um, the off-key humor yeah. um, type of thing. Yeah, yeah, I would imagine you... But you still have to get out in the field every day. So, yeah. So, uh, how long were you in Kosovo for? Seven months. Seven. Oh, okay. So it it seems the pattern is about seven months for each area that you are deployed to. Yes. And then after Kosovo, I went back to Petawawa. Okay. And I left Petawawa in two thousand four. All right. And I came up here to North Bay. Okay, I've been to the base in North Bay. And what did you do there? Uh, gain mechanical work, or yeah, yeah, I was a mechanic again. And then uh, not long after I got there, uh, still in mechanic field, but I became what we call LPO, a locus, local purchasing officer. Local so, purchasing officer. Yeah, so what I would do is I would go downtown and buy parts right off the shelf for our civilian pattern vehicles that we had in North Bay. Oh. So I was basically uh, a, a parts guy. <laughs> yeah, and that's... With a, with a wallet. Yeah, that sounds great. <laughs> yeah. And a good good way to get out of the office, more or less. <laughs> yeah, exactly. How did you, how did you react with... Civilians, if were you in uniform when you'd go to yeah. purchase your uh, supplies for the mechanical yeah. department, let's say, yeah. And how were yeah. the civilians towards you, or how did you cope or be with other civilians? Was it hard to relate to people at that time after no. seeing such horrific things? No, because the people I dealt with um, were trade related to me. Okay. Right, so I'm dealing with mechanics, or I'm dealing with parts guys. All right. So that was right in my field. So that was real easy, and for them, they were guaranteed income or profits because they had us buying, right? So yeah. they enjoyed us coming in also. Okay, so that that worked out really well for you. And how long were you at the North Bay base as a purchasing officer? Um. So that was '05 as I started that. I left in '07 to go to Camp Mirage in support of Afghanistan. So Camp Mirage is that in Afghanistan? 
No, it was a staging base. Okay. And I don't even know if I, because when I went there, we couldn't say where it was, so I don't even know if I can still say it. Oh, well, then maybe, yeah, maybe you shouldn't say it. But, uh, uh, I don't want to get the same in. job there. Like. So you were doing that kind of same job at Camp Mirage. Yeah, and we this were was buying parts for all our vehicles that we needed. Okay, and this was to support military. Uh, uh, this was to how do you say purchase operations in Afghanistan. In Afghanistan. Yeah. Did you walk around? Outside of the base, uh, so were you? You were in the country of Afghanistan. No. Oh, you weren't. No, I okay. was outside of Afghanistan. Okay. Were you ever in that country? No, I wasn't. All right. So, and this is the kind of job that you did to support the other soldiers that were um, in Afghanistan. Correct. And. How long were you at Camp Mirage in a location that is still undisclosed to this date? Uh, seven months. <laughs> seven months. <laughs> yeah. I should know that by now. <laughs> and then from there, so this is still in 2010. Oh, 2007. no. Seven. Right. Yeah. And then from Camp Mirage. I came back to North Bay. Okay. And in 2010, I medically retired. So, yeah, so you're in North Bay, then you medically retired. And what do you mean by that? Did you have physical problems or mental health issues? I I had physical restrictions, which prevented me from being deployed again. Okay. And at that time, um, new policy was, if you cannot be deployed, you cannot be employed. Oh, my goodness. So you're kind of given... uh, you had to say goodbye. You were forced to say goodbye? Yep. How did you feel about that? At the time, I was okay with it. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I miss it now, though. That's what but, I was going to ask, you know. I, I don't miss the job, I miss the people. Yeah, because I the friendships. The, the friendships you must have made must be lifelong friendships. Yeah. Yep, and I'm still in contact with, I don't know how many people. <laughs> Haven't seen them in 30 years, but talked with them on Facebook. That's great. Uh, do you want to say hi to any of them? Yeah, to Rudy. Uh, Rudy was in Bosnia with me. Okay. And uh, he was also my roommate while I was in boarding for one year. Okay. But uh, in Bosnia... Hi, Rudy. There was a, <laughs> there was a song, uh, I think, by the Beatles, Seven Days a Week. Oh, yes. Well, he, he wrote that into eight days a week to match our work schedule. <laughs> and that was one of the, the humor things that we did. So, so he did he play guitar? Yes, he did. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, he's and, in West now, so. He's in Western Canada? Yeah. All right, and anyone else that you'd like to say hi to or you have fond memories of? No. No? <laughs> you just all stay in contact with different uh, I'd be here for an hour trying to remember everybody's name and make sure I didn't forget everybody's I know. Uh, it's better just one person, then you're covered, and you just say yeah, hi to all the rest of your, uh, your vets. All your defense guys, this year, and all the uni guys, and this year also. Oh, there you go. So let's hope that while you're 
once I post this podcast, you can share away if you want. <laughs> and they'll hear you and you probably will get some ribbing, some uh, little jokes or whatever. But that's part of it. That's that's when you know you have close, good friends, lifelong friends. And exactly. I guess that's what happens when you're in the military. It is because um, it doesn't matter where you go. You could be on exercise or you could be on deployment. But you depend so much on your partner and your, your teammates that you become close even though there's no intentions of becoming close. Right. How about any any one of your oh, soldier friends? Did did you lose any of your soldier friends that might have seen combat? No, um, I didn't lose any of my friends in combat. I lost a friend in Lar. Um, he got stabbed to death uh, oh. by a local fella. Yeah. Um, over stupidity. So he was stabbed to death in Lara. This would be in Germany. Yeah. And do you know what happened? Was it a, a fight or why uh, him? I don't know the, the whole details. It was uh, well, three or four of my buddies there, and Scotty didn't make it, um, but the other guys did. Uh, I don't know the whole details of why or whatever, but he was... Uh, the one friend, while basically overseas that I did lose. Jeepers. Uh, how about any of your friends? Do they suffer with PTSD or is it a common... I don't think there's a soldier alive that's been on a tour and does not suffer from one level or another of PTSD. Oh my goodness, it's that... It's that uh... Relevant and that prevalent, I prevalent, I guess, is the word. I, I believe it is. But so, how do they cope? How do you cope? And how do your other buddies cope with PTSD? Everybody's different on it, right? Um, okay. Unfortunately, too many uh, self medicate. Oh, and self medicate is it uh, drugs and alcohol, or is it more alcohol? individual choices right yeah so it, it's hard to say um you know it's it's just one of those things yeah it's it's something when you think of ptsd uh you you join a service you join the canadian armed forces or the canadian navy or air force to uh support and defend your country to keep our country free but at the same time it's one hell of a price to pay yep. afterwards, right? Yep. When you have and to cope with uh, PTSD. You know, and I don't think the police or first responders or firemen, I don't think they're any better off. I don't think so either. And you know, because they see a lot of shit too. So. Yeah, yeah, they would. And 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 what? How do? You, how are you doing, Jason? With your family? With uh, how? What is your life like now? Um, overall, it's good. That's um, great. I have, I have my days. Yeah. You know, and, and that. And uh, they're just extremely supportive of it. And when I tell them I'm having a hard day, they, you know, they listen. And sometimes that's the most that you can ask for. So you you just, 
your family will support, they support you by just listening when you want to talk about something that you've seen or heard. You have an amazing family. I do, I do. You know, um, Petaluma built this park and it's called Home Fires Park. Home Fires Park? Yeah, and it was dedicated to all the spouses at home. Oh, that's wonderful. Keeping the home fires burning while the boys and girls were deployed. Right. And how, if you don't mind me asking, you, you're you married. Um, how many years have you been married? Oh, we're high school sweethearts. Oh, are so, you? Yeah. Uh, we were high school sweethearts. We went separate ways for a couple of years. And then I came home from Germany Christmas of 91. Okay. So June of 92, my wife came over to Germany and we've been together since... Oh, I'm so happy to hear that for you. Thank you. She sounds like a real blessing. She is. She's a, you know, I don't know what, where I'd be or what I'd be doing if it wasn't for her. I'm so happy for you. I really am. And obviously she must be the kind of listener that you can only hope for when you're in the armed forces. Yeah, exactly, because... She had no idea what she agreed to when she said I do. (laughs) You didn't tell her. (laughs) Well, I told her that we had just gotten posted to Petawala, too. And then, you know, 18 months later, um, well, not even, what, six months later, eight months later, her daughter's born. A year year later, we lose her mom. And two weeks later, I'm in Bosnia. Oh, my goodness. That was her introduction to uh, the military life. Oh. How did she cope with all those days and months that you were gone? I, oh, that's a good question because she doesn't drive either. Okay. And she had a 12-month-old baby to keep fed. Yeah. So. She just uh, kept. Then, you know, friends, right? Um, right. Military wives. Know, Exactly, because, like, when I went to to Bosnia, my buddies came with me because they were in the same unit. So their wives were me. So the wives, um, they get a support group type thing going, too, like the buddy system, where they help each other. That's amazing. And so since you've been retired uh, and you're, with your beautiful wife, uh, I I don't know what she looks like, but I imagine she must be beautiful inside and out and beautiful soul. Uh, what is your daily life like now since you've been retired? Even though you miss the military, what are you working as a mechanic or are you fully retired? No, I uh, I went back to school and I got my uh, my parts technician license, so I'm a registered parts technician. Okay. And then in 2019, I got medically retired completely. Okay. So I'm still at home. Oh, so you're at home. And uh, when you say medically, is it, if you don't mind me asking, is it physical or mental? Yeah, Phys- yeah it's physical. I got my uh, came down with what they call CIDP. And what is that? Chronically inflammatory, demi-laminating near pathology. 
Okay, I have no idea what that is. Is that sort of like arthritis or? You know? my, my immune system became overreactive. Okay. And it attacked all the nerves in my arms and legs. So it effectively stripped all the uh, insulation off my nerves. So I'm numb from the armpits to the fingertips and from the brain to the toes. Oh my gosh. I am so sorry to hear that. How do you, a, are, do you, can you take medication for that? I, I guess not. Oh, yeah, I do, and I go for treatment every three weeks. Oh, what kind of treatment would that be? Uh, or IV. And what is that exactly? It's a blood product that I get. Oh, I see. Oh, my That's goodness. It. Wow. And does that help you? Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, <laughs> Yeah, thank yeah, goodness. Thank goodness for that. And do you go to North Bay or Sudbury for that, yeah, or just North Bay? North Bay. So when you're having an okay day, do you go out for walks, or do you go hunting, or fishing, or yeah, um, tinker so with vehicles? I, yeah, I uh, I do a lot of hunting and fishing, um, but I just don't do it on my own. Oh. You always so, have a buddy with you, let's say. Yeah, yeah because uh, because of my condition, I'm not uh, always stable on my feet. Oh, I see. So I don't like to go by myself because it stresses my wife and daughter out. Yeah. So, but I'm still very active when I can fishing. Well, that's good. So you must have a, a different with your condition. You must have, like you said, you 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 become you become unsteady on your feet, or or do you become immobile for your, with your arms, or no unsteady. Unsteady. Yeah. Chambers, is it because of the stress of being in the in the military? I don't know what caused it. Oh, so there's no one set reason why your body decided to attack itself. Exactly. Do you catch colds often, or when your immune system is like that, compromised? Um, no, because I don't. Uh, I don't leave the, my yard very often oh. to go into uh, public settings. Right. Uh, like Remembrance Day that just passed. Yes. Was the biggest setting I've been in indoors probably in four years. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I used to do the remembrance day outside. Yes. And then the service is done, then I usually go home. Yeah. But uh, you must have been filled with anxiety to some degree. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, boy. And and just to cope with, with knowing that this is coming up. Uh, but why did you feel you needed to go to Remembrance Day? Or why do you feel people should wear a poppy, let's say? Oh. I did 30 funerals slash weights in 36 months for fellow uh, soldiers. Mm-hmm. Working for the Ministry of Defense, right? Yeah. And, and you feel that it's a good idea that people wear a poppy to remember the vets, like such as yourself. Who... The sacrifices that uh, fellow Canadians have put forth for Canada. Yeah. I think people, uh, maybe the younger ones, might not feel it's relevant to them because they've grown up, and myself too, in a free country. Uh, I, 
I've never experienced war, but like, as I said before, watching the news, I see it and I've heard of it and you see images of it. But uh, I had two great uncles that were in the Second World War and they were in France, but they're both passed. So I don't, I was, I never thought to really ask a lot about their military years in the Second World War, but I there was talk of them finding a good wine cellar somewhere. In, <laughs> and I think they kind of bunkered down there in someone's wine cellar in, in France and kind of stayed there and stayed out of trouble, maybe. I don't know. I don't know if that's true or not, but I, you know, there was some laughter said about, you know, the two uncles that went over to France during the Second World War. But, uh, yeah, I, I've I don't think people really realize to some degree why it's so important to thank a veteran for, to this day, still keeping our country safe. Well, you know, we're still doing a lot in Canada's name. And how about, how do you feel now with uh, the things that are going on in the world? Are you still, are you nervous about how things are? with the escalation of different wars and different, we're not going to name countries, but, you know, with no. the different wars that are going on? No, it doesn't bother me. Is it because you feel that we're, we have a great military defense uh, field, I guess, or? No, I don't know if it's that, um, or a combination that our allies are there also, right? Right. So... So, and you know, still have to have things that it's going to get settled. So you feel it? We're still we're safe. Yes. Yeah. And would you encourage anyone to join the military? Yes. But with with what you said that a lot of them, the majority, end up leaving with PTSD. Do you feel feel that that's still a good suggestion because? They're still serving our country, and the PTSD is a is a sacrifice that they have to make to keep our country safe. Same as with the ambulance drivers, the firemen. Oh, that's the true. Police. That's that's a good way to think about it. You know, um, paramedics. Not everybody, not everybody is uh, has the desire to sit behind the desk. That's yeah. that's true. A lot of people need to do things physically, and I think the military is one of those opportunities that there's like over seven hundred and fifty different jobs in the military. Seven hundred and fifty different jobs in the military. Oh my yeah. good! I had no idea. Like and that was when I got it. Oh. So, you know, I, I, I think the military is great. So that, oh, that's uh, wonderful. It got a little bit too soft. Okay. I've but, heard uh, of that recently. <laughs> the cutbacks. Uh, you, know, uh, the, you know, the military, the police, the fire hall, the uh, ambulance, I think they're all great professions. And I think that a lot of the youngers, if they got into that profession, would have a lot more respect for the people that have been before that. Yeah. So that's that's good advice. And would you have any final words on your life? If you were, let's say you're 90 years old and you're near the end of your life, let's say, 
what can you say about yourself that you're the most proud of besides having a beautiful wife and a daughter and serving our country? Would you have any final thoughts on your life? Are you happy with what you chose in your life? Oh, yeah. I've got no regrets on my career. That's wonderful. Uh, you know, like the people I met, the things I, I did, are all good. Yeah. Um, but uh, the experiences and everything, yeah, yeah i got no regrets. That's great. That's wonderful. I'm, I'm you know... If do you have any other words of anything that you could say to me that I might have not asked you about your military life or something else you'd like to share or story? No, I don't think so. Okay, that's good. I I know it's hard when you're put on the spot. <laughs> it's like tomorrow morning you'll wake up and you'll say, "Ah, oh, I should have told Joanne about that time," you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, like, um, you know, there's just beautiful people in the military. If you get into the military, or like you say, the police or the fire hall or whatever, the camaraderie that you build with your co-workers, I, I don't think there's any other professions in the world that can come close to it. Oh, that's amazing. Uh, and that alone, to me, is... A beautiful benefit. Yeah. It sounds great because there's, you know, still a lot of younger people that aren't sure what, what area to get into. And uh, you you might have steered, maybe with your uh, talk today, you might steer someone in that direction. And no. they could be eternally grateful to you because then they could have a, a life ahead, a great career ahead of something exactly. and to travel <laughs> my buddy jerry uh he was in Petawawa with me mm-hmm. and um his sons but we were just a little less a little more than a year younger than my daughter yes and i think he's six years into the military he's an aircraft mechanic aircraft mechanic okay you know and i don't know where the hell he is now but he's not in canada and he's loving it you know oh that's great yeah I'd love to see a lot more people get in yes for all the different experiences because life is so short and if you kind of live in your own little home or community and you never go anywhere you know and then you get to be 90 years old, then you'll think, you might think, oh, darn, why couldn't I have been more adventuresome? Or Go and visit another culture and learn a little bit about it. Then come home and think back on our culture, on our indigenous brothers and sisters. Yeah. How they were progressed and everything. And just look and see how good you have it here. Yeah. And that's... Canada's got its faults, by all means. Yes. When you go to other countries and you see how they live and how we live, you come home and say, holy shit, am I ever grateful? Yes. Yeah, that's why I find travel is so important. Uh, we've traveled to different countries ourselves, not as many as you, that's for sure. But uh, you come back home and you say, geez, it's so nice I can 
go to the grocery store and not see, uh, even in Dominican Republic, you see people at the beach, uh, soldiers on either side of the beach with machine guns. Yeah. And you can go to the beach here in Sudbury or Cape Real, where you live, or where you, you came from, and there's no soldiers there. No. And, well, and that's like in, uh, in the Iraq Kuwait war was going on. Yes. We had armed soldiers on the school buses in Germany. Uh, we were patrolling the military housing that night. You oh, know. Jeez. Uh, you don't do that here. No. So some of your vets' friends would be on school buses for kids to go to school, and they had to be on the buses. And this would be in in Iraq? No, this was in Germany. In Germany? In Germany, because of terrorist threats. Oh, I see. Oh, my gosh. Can you imagine? Like, well, you've, you've seen it. Yeah. Uh, I, can't, I can't imagine that, going to school and then having a soldier on the bus just in case. Yeah. You wonder how this affects their mental health uh, and their physical health, always worried about being uh, shot at. Yeah, but at the same time, you mean for the kids? Yeah. Um, I don't think it affected them too much because it was like a 10 minute bus ride and then they were off, right? And right. when they got home, they still played outside and everything else. Okay. And it was just that our buses were army green, right? So we're, you know, a big bullseye on the side of the pipe. Oh, yeah. Oh, for sure. Because they so, knew they were the, the children of the soldiers. Exactly. So. Jeepers. But we never had any major incidents, thankfully. Mm-hmm. And, uh, as far as other countries, would you ever go back, travel back to any of the countries that you were at before while you were in the military? If my health would let me, I'd do them all. Is that right? Yeah, I'd go back to see, because I'd like to know how Bosnia was coming along. I'd like to know how Kosovo was rebuilt. Mm-hmm. You know, because uh, there was a lot of destruction there. Yeah. And I would look to go back and see that they are coming along and my time there was worthwhile. Yeah, that would be something that you'd think about for sure. So you'd go back to Kosovo, you'd go back to uh, Bosnia. Yeah. Uh, I think of you, Ukrainian uh, people, how you know their cities have been demolished and destroyed. Uh, and just the idea of the rebuild afterwards, let's say hopefully there will be peace there soon, um, that as a soldier going there, you know, you'd like to know that someday people can be so resilient that it, it can be rebuilt. Buildings can be, yeah, rebuilt. People can't, but... No, you look at you look at uh, Europe in general from World War Two. Yeah. You know... Like, so much was just leveled. And you go back there and you look at it now, and you see you went to France, you know? Yeah. You, you know why all the trees were lined, or all the streets were lined with trees, right? Yes. You know, because the German soldiers didn't like to walk in the sun. Jeez. They like the food. <laughs> 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 you know, you, you go back and you look, and if you... Um, like, from Lars into uh, France, you go into Strasbourg. Yes. And 
uh, along the Rhine River, you could see the old pillboxes. Oh, my goodness. And that was back in the 90s. They were still there. Uh, the Toolboxes. Yeah, like um, shelters. Oh, I see. They were called, the Germans called them pillboxes, and they'd have the machine guns set up in there. Oh, okay. And, like on the ones in France, they were still fully intact. You couldn't go into them because the doors were welded up on them. Yes. But the, the ones in Germany were all destroyed, and you could walk on them. The roofs were over three feet, feet thick of concrete. Oh, my goodness. So, you know, they, you go back into Germany and France and that, and you see all the rebuilding and everything. So I'm sure Ukraine and everybody else that has been through this horrible stuff will be able to uh, rebuild also. Yeah. 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 So it's a, it's sort of one way to think. At the end of the day, your peacekeeping efforts were worth it. Uh, when you go back, let's say, if and when, if you could ever go back, I really hope your health improves so that you can make the trip back to any of these countries that you can see the rebuilding and you will can pat yourself on the shoulder that your efforts were worth it. Yeah, yeah exactly. Well, I really enjoyed our conversation and I... Thank you for your patience with me because I I just don't know all the terms and terminology used. But oh, yeah. I, nice. <laughs> I really appreciate your doing this podcast with me, Jason, and I I hope that your health improves. Um did did the military provide any mental health counseling for you? Uh, I don't know. They might have offered. Oh, <laughs> and uh, you didn't, you, you had no. uh, your family to support you, so. Yeah, uh, veterans affairs is there if I need it, I can go through them. That's, that's good to hear. So, so yeah. I'm told anyway, but I haven't used them for that yet, so. <laughs> oh, there you go. Well, <laughs> if you ever do need to use them, then that's great, because I, years ago, as you said, there wasn't any uh, counseling available for soldiers that have, had seen any action or horrific um, things that they would like to forget or talk about. But it's you. You certainly are blessed that you have a, a wonderful a family that's there to support you. And I found your talk so refreshing, oh, especially yeah, because it it really made me think that the benefit of being in the military or the Navy or the Air Force uh, provides so many career opportunities. But the best thing that I enjoyed hearing from you was the comradeship, the friendships. Oh, you can't beat it. Yeah, that's... I I worked on a railway before I got in the military, and I had some good friends there, but the commodity was nowhere like the the military. Yeah, that's great. And that, you know, is they're always going to be there for you for that. Exactly. Uh, And so your Facebook friends with a lot of these guys, a lot of these vets, veterans. (laughs) 90%. Oh, that's great. Thank goodness for social media. It can be 
so good. I've reconnected with a lot of childhood friends, and it's just been such a wonderful thing uh, and blessing to reconnect with people. So the great thing about, let's say, Facebook or Instagram or anything like that is is the the idea that you're just a, a click away from chatting with a buddy or a friend. Yeah, exactly. Which is wonderful. So anyway, I thank you so much, Jason, for being my guest on my podcast and for sharing your story of being in the Canadian military. Thank you for your service to our country and to all of us people here in Canada. I really appreciate your service and you as a person and as a soldier to represent the Canadian military, the Canadian Army. And I will definitely always make sure uh, that I will wear my poppy on Remembrance Day. I'll buy a new one every year. (laughs) Well, thank you for having me today. Oh, you're so welcome. You take good care and uh, we'll end our podcast now. And and thank you so much. Have Have a good day. You too, Joanne. Thanks for you. All righty. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.